In this episode of the Flick Lab International Film Podcast, Kari and Henrik are taking a deep dive into the free film selection of filmdo.com, a platform that provides you international films and short films not sponsored by Filmdo in any way. Next up, there would be Love Bakery from Malaysia, 2013 film. Well, okay. Well, it's a Malaysian indie group film, I think coming from something called CK Productions. Apparently, it's a love story of two people. I don't know what that means, really, but that's the synopsis, so hey-ho, let's go. Uh, The description is something like the different types of love between a couple. So it depicts the feelings between a girl and a boy. These are co-workers in the same company, some kind of a cafeteria or something like that. The guy is still in a relationship with another girl, so they can't really drive the whole thing forwards. But after there's a breakup, uh, the co-workers then start dating and they get engaged, etc. Honestly, I don't know what to say about this film. It... uh, it doesn't even seem to depict different types of love. You have the beginning title graphics that say that it's a true love story, and I don't know if it's based on a true love story, or if it's just a made-up, quote, uh, true love story. At best, it could be like a reenactment. It uses music from Cinema Paradiso by Ennio Morricone. Pretty sure there was no permit to use that one, but uh, anyway, let's let that slide. It's, it's one of those... One of those, you know, skippable films on the platform. No recommendations. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, I'm really struggling to say anything about the film. So let's just move on to the next one. But I guess I'll take the one from Venezuela still here. The Prisoner 2012 film, our first film from Venezuela. Directed by Omar Zambrano, uh, Juan Chapa and Martin Deus. So... A pretty unexpected delight from Venezuela's direction. IMDb lists this as an Argentinian film for whatever reason. I'm a bit confused. Of course, there's the thing that so many of the films filmed in South America just happen to be produced very heavily by Argentina because there's a huge film industry going there uh, in terms of South America. But the description doesn't really give me much help here, so I just jumped into the movie. So there's Boy Scouts, they have split into different teams, and they play sort of war games. There's there's like a red team, and there's a yellow team, and different teams. And then the red team finds a member of the yellow team uh, by the river or some kind of a lake, and they take him as a prisoner. And as the story goes on, they, they kind of bond Initially, it's this kind of this um, rivalrous relationship, but then they start to become friends. The film is about adolescents uh, growing up, experiencing um, those one-of-a-kind playful childhood moments when... I don't know if you... if you, did, did, did you go to the Boy Scouts? I did, yeah, for a number of years, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we have some similar experiences then, maybe. There were some good times there, too, and... You know, this is a feel-good, childhood, sunny days feel type of thing with gorgeous locations and uh, probably they're in some kind of a national park and nice locations scouting all together. 
also a bit, I don't know, homosexual vibes again, it might be just me, but I think it's also playing on, on that, the, the feelings of boys when they are younger and all that, but... Yeah, I think gorgeously shot, simple little drama about the experiences that we have all had during childhood, those memories that probably never fade and are very much, I don't know, made golden, if, if that works in the English language as a, as a phrase. Recommendation. What about Henrik? What's next? Well, my next four movies are Man Under from USA, Last Train from USA, Staff Riding from Sub-Saharan Africa, and Train Surfers from South Asia, Mumbai to be more specific. And all of these movies, they try to explore our modern day relationship with trains. And from these ones, Last Train is the weakest one, it basically basically just it's a short one that has three different interviews if i remember correctly and it's just a small personal stories about something that happened in in a train i take this train quite often and somebody meets a woman at the train station it's, you know this type of stuff Man Under, on the other hand, is much more heavier subject matter. It's about using the train system as a tool of suicide. It's from the perspective of a motorman, someone who operates the operates one of the the trains or the subways at at New York, and who has had the un unlucky experience of driving a train that somebody has used as a method of suicide. And stuff riding and and train surfers are both films about the same subject matter which is a phenomena called train surfing which is especially young men doing crazy stunts or dangerous stunts involving trains like doing dance moves on the rooftop of a you know moving train risking the possibility of accidentally hitting one of the electric cables th there which which do house something like 3000 watts which is automatically lethal or hanging, hanging from the side of a moving train, risking the chance that you hit one of those, hit yourself against one of those, you know, metal poles that line up the train tracks, stuff like that. That's what, what is train surfing. It is stunts done on a moving train. And in, in that hobby, you naturally, you risk the possibility of either death, or amputation if you fall under the train and the train run, runs over let's say your arms or legs you are going to lose those arms and legs and these were kind of interesting except last train which was really forgettable but they were interesting in the sense that like how trains and railroad infrastructure has changed in its meaning or the meaning that it has for us in the early years of of railroad infrastructure and railroads are often seen through some type of a like a kind of kind of a nostalgia color colored tinted glasses in which it's highlighted how the train infrastructure was essential in bringing modernization and bringing industrialization into the world. Train infrastructure, tra railroads are often seen as, as the thing that, for example, ended the mythical Wild West. West was civilized through the train tracks. 
and the train tracks were something that was the birthing place of many small communities, small towns. Later, perhaps, some of them even grew into cities. You had the small settlement built alongside of the train track, and eventually that settlement gets more and more infra in it. It becomes a town, later becomes a city. That type of thing. So that's kind of where, how we see the, the early days. The route, the birthing place of, of railroads. And you kind of see this also, this nostalgia for the lost world of railroads. In the way how railroads are p- depicted in, in modern pop culture. Like for example, the TV shows Supernatural. I don't know if you ever watched that one. A little bit. It was bit. the spooky cop show. A little bit. Yeah. Well... Anyways, the first season, if I remember correctly, the larger plot of that season revolves around the railroads, where it's depicted that the railroad system of America was a conscious choice on the behalf of the founding fathers to kind of create a defensive barrier against the demonic forces and entities that would otherwise freely prey on humans. Because the railroad tracks are made from iron, and the demons can't cross the iron, so you have this defensive network. And the whole point was one demon trying to find a way to cross the railroad tracks, and this way free himself. So there is kind of like this mythical aspect to to trains and, and railroad. And then you look at these three documentaries, and all of a sudden it gets much more darker and meaner aspect. Like in Man Under, the railroad network is used as a tool to commit a suicide. And as the documentary points out, in some cases even a murder. So it has become from, you know, the, oh, it civilized the Wild West origins, and from the, oh, it's a defensive barrier against demonic entities, it has actually become a tool of violence. And as as, as Man Under points out, it's actually pretty prominent tool of violence. The, the, the statistics of the, of the documentary point out that there are usually three hits. Three events where a train in New York hits another person per week. And a lot of these hits that happen are quite often lethal thanks to the fact that the trains are going in such of a high speed and it's a huge chunk of metal. And a a lot of them are, are based upon people's wishes to essentially end themselves off. And there are, like, the, the motorman job, as, as pointed out by the film, it has a high PTSD risk because of this. And also the fact that the average death, if you get hit by a train, is not a quick one. Said that it takes something like 17 minutes for you to die after the impact. Nice. And this kind of a semi-nihilistic attitude also ends up extending itself also into the profession of the motorman. Man Under makes the point that if you are a motorman who drives a train that ends up hitting another person, if that person ends up dying, you get a few days off from work so that you can work yourself around the trauma that has just happened. And these can be hugely traumatic effects, events that may have an effect that lasts for years. However, if the person does, does does not die, you are required to return back to work the very next day. So it's quite a lot to ask from another person, you know, just to say that, okay, yes, you hit someone with a train, but that person didn't die, he's technically alive show up to a work 
the very next day you still have a shift to drive. And it's that kind of a murky nihilism that also kind of extends itself into train surfing as an event where in both films, staff riding and train surfers, the people on the focus of these two documentaries, they do acknowledge the fact that what they are doing, the hobby they have, train surfing, is extremely dangerous. Staff riding perhaps takes this even more, even further in their the subjects even, they, they describe their hobby, train surfing, as, as, as a suicide admission. They fully understand that, you know, it is a suicidal hobby. And for these young men, which are the, the sub-Saharian Africans, train surfing as a, as a hobby, it, it is painted in the light of that some type of a social redemption and and it is an went how they can somehow went out their aggression and the hate that they feel. They the reason that they give for for train surfing is that they have so much hate built inside of them, and they don't have a healthy outlet outlet for that hate and anger. So they let it out by train surfing. Which is kind of really like like sad take really. You have to play with your life because you can't, you don't have a healthy outlet for the feelings you feel. I can kind of relate to that, but it must be a quite sad and, and hellish existence. The film also tries to make a statement how it's some type of a modern struggle against the legacy of the apartheid, which happened also in, in sub-Saharan Af- African territories. I don't really buy that. And against this light, perhaps the the Mumbaians in Train Surfers come off more as just idiots. For them, the, the, the activity of train surfing, it's once again, it's framed around the theme of self-expression. But for these young men, the focus people, uh, or, or the, the, the people at the focus of the documentary Train Surfers, their existence altogether is not that healthy. Mm-hmm. They describe themselves as, as hooligans, as thugs, as young men who seek out fights, who blackmail each other after the said fights. And in both cases, in, in both documentaries, train surfers and staff riding, the young men here whose masculinity is no way is healthy and no way is not non-toxic, they all, both groups, they still uh, express the wish that at some day they wanna be productive members of the society. They wanna rise up into, into positions where they get money and power and where they can kind of e- escape the existence that they now have. They both express the wish that we will grow up from train surfing. And once we have grown up, we kind of become a good members of our society and then we will have money and riches and women. A coming of age story. A kind of a, a coming of age stories, but extremely sad coming of age stories. In both cases, you kind of follow young men men who some reason in different ways have failed in the coming of age process up until this point at least or at least in the moment of time that these two documentaries capture and it's sad because train surfing as a hobby because of the the risk of death and because of the risk of amputation it is a hobby that can end the coming of age for these young men 
Staff writing makes a poignant moment about this when it interviews one young man who had done train surfing in the past. And the shot is framed so that you have have like his his upper body you have that uh, from the chest high upwards you see him and he talks about his his dreams how he is a he's a happy person who has all these ideas who likes to party hopes someday to work in advertisement and then at the end of the documentary it shows you his lower body and you find out that he has lost both of his arms they've been both amputated because a train surfing accident yikes and you realize that dude is never gonna work at marketing. Right. Recommendations? I do recommend uh, I do recommend train surfers, staff riding, and man under the but not last train. Mm. Okay. Uh, keeping the theme of this podcast episode in uh, documentaries and surfing, I present to you a Mongolian couch from Mongolia. 2010. Uh, actually, not exactly from Mongolia, but definitely filmed in Mongolia, but uh, directed by two couchsurfers who are from... Well, that's my guess. It's probably from Britain, Great Britain or the US, who knows. Eva Arnold and George Clip are the directors of the documentary for 12 minutes. And this is an interesting concept, Henrik. This is the story of a family called Begsuren living in... I always have trouble pronouncing this capital, but Ulaanbaatar, let's say. It's the capital of Mongolia. Uh, there's uh, the family who lives in Ger district, Ger, the sort of less well-off family section, which actually comprises 60% of the population of Ulaanbaatar. And the word Ger, it also doesn't only refer to this, to this society where 60% of the people live, but also to the tent-type structures that people live in. And you can also call them yurts or yurts. So the family invites a lot of foreigners to stay in on their couch because the family is on the couch surfing platform, which, if you don't know, it offers a free place to stay for travelers. In exchange for this cultural exchange, you get these wonderful moments with people you have never met from different parts of the world. Um, so the surfers teach and help this this curious family in several ways. They they build irrigation systems. They provide uh, tips on healthier eating, uh, and also teaching their kids English language, which seems to be invaluable because the family cannot afford to send the kids to kindergarten. And we also hear from the couch surfers them, some, themselves a bit what they're doing there to help. But that being said, it would have been more interesting uh, to dive deeper into the whole topic of exactly how the surfers have changed their lives for the better in this community. And looks like we need a sequel for this and a goddamn update because since 2010 when this was made, Couchsurfing has turned from a non-profit to a for-profit, which did alienate a lot of users already like five years ago. And then during COVID, you were forced to pay for the platform or otherwise you could no longer access your account because, hey, COVID, no one's traveling and all that. But I have to wonder how this and these changes have affected the use of couchsurfing for the family and what is the state of affairs 13 years later for the kids and for the parents. And uh, very inspiring stuff overall. And, And... The technical quality, it leaves a lot to be desired. 
But it has this cinematic language, the cinematic style, nice shot compositions with inspiration from like expensive documentaries. Yes, music choices are nice, good B-roll stuff. Overall, fantastically motivating for starting up your couchsurfing profile once again. Recommendation. Jumping on to another documentary. Down the Stream from Vietnam 2015, directed by G. Mai. It's just four minutes. It's a brief encounter with the kids living in downstream Mekon River. Uh, these kids have lived there all their lives in boats, and we hear about their dreams and aspirations. They face the camera with, you know, these teeth that could use some, you know, dentist work. They are coming from really poor situations and we hear about their hardships, their dreams and we see their camaraderie. We have this pretty odd and quick style cuts through and throughout. I guess in an effort to trying to include as much as you can into this. Overall kind of, kind of nice approach and uh, really kept you, you know, watching for those four minutes. And a recommendation for that and Jumping on to Vienna Waits for You from Austria 2012. Austria. Dominic Hartl is the director. Um, a pretty disturbing supernatural flick from Austria, which takes place in a Viennese apartment. And this apartment is kind of the main, main, you know, villain of the story, because the apartment itself lives off the youth of its residents. Yeah, there's a new tenant that moves into the house, and and this uh, young lady doesn't read the fine print, of course, and then as a consequence, she gets to be consumed by the apartment piece by piece. It takes her youth. She starts to get wrinkles and gray hair, and uh, and starts to get really. Uh, when you think about the performance of this, if this is actually the same actor doing all these parts when the character gets older, well done, well done, capturing all those moments of, you know, getting the the hunchback and uh, the how the the cold walking is getting harder. Uh, people grow old at an acceler accelerated rate in the apartment, and highly recommended kind of. Inventive story. I haven't seen anything like this before. Many unexpected twists. Uh, definitely check it out. Uh, I, I would say that maybe you, you would actually find it also worthwhile. But never mind that, because let's get the flow going. Flow from Belgium, 2014 animated film by Matthijs de Macht. This is a short animation uh, which, which has pretty vibrant colors and, and very shiny whites. It's, it's about a girl who seems to be grieving someone's passing or something horrible happened in other ways. I think someone, someone died here and her grief is then interrupted by this glowing white wolf who takes her on this magical mystery journey through the forest where they have portals, villains and treacherous waters, all the fun stuff. And... In the end, I think we learn something about friendship with ima imaginary wolves, and apparently that's good for your mental state, I don't know. But perhaps to give some kind of a serious analysis here, it, it's, it seems to be about you know keeping your sense of adventure alive, uh, trusting your instincts, just going forward, whatever adversity you're facing, uh, keeping it upbeat, and 
finding beauty around you during the dark hours, all that. But yeah, it's a fantastical journey of color bursting on your eyes for six minutes. Good sense of style and imagination. <laughs> Nothing to lose here. But I think uh, you will enjoy it, especially if you're into animation. But uh, let's check out some more from Cambodia by Amit, uh, Amit Dubai. 12 minutes film. And the film is called Broken. Yeah, this is about a broken guy, mentally, spiritually, who comes back to his old hoods in Phnom Penh, the capital of Cambodia, where actually our ex-host Zach is right right now in. Well, not exactly in Phnom Penh, but he's in Cambodia right now. Okay, he has been moving around. Yeah, it's it's kind of his honeymoon thing right now. So this guy comes back to Phnom Penh, and after the rule of the communist, communist Khmer Rouge reign from 1975 to 1979, and if people are not familiar with the, with the history, uh, this Khmer Rouge killed between 1.5 to 2 million people in their ethnic cleansings and wiping off of any perceived opposition, just innocent people, like most of them obviously, and then Vietnam and the US got involved and they overthrew them. And so this guy comes back to his old hoods and he discovers some painful memories, and also something that he was looking for, or is it just what his mind wanted to be looking for and then fabricated for him in order to keep living? Unfortunately, that's not what he can do because he kind of dies. Weird twist, perhaps a little bit too melodramatic. But if you're into, into history stuff, check it out. Otherwise, maybe skip it. Henrik. Okay, before my last bundle of movies tonight i watched four documentaries about people defining their genders and the documentaries in question were trans mormon which you know the title explains to you outright what that was what's that one is all about it's from usa tom girl also from usa track queen king from usa and draft day from Thailand, and the, basically the focuses here are, well, trans-Mormon is about a transgender pe- person who has been born in the Mormon community. Tom Girl is about young nine-year-old child who is studying and experiencing her own gender ide- identity and more so the lack of it. Tracking King is... A is about, well, American drag king, which is a a person who dresses in, in drag, and unlike drag queens, where they dress up as women, drag kings dress up as men, and Draft Day follows a 24 transgender men during the, the day of the draft. And in Thailand, apparently, the whole thing operates so that you are called into the draft situation session which can apparently takes a whole day there's a medical examination for you the first and then there is a lottery where there's one to five chance that you draw the red red lottery ticket which means that you will serve 
at the army. If you draw black, that means that you are exempt from military service. And watching these was kind of a weird experience. It was a hell of a lot weirder than I was originally prepared it to be. Because there's a quite large tonal shift, in my opinion, between these documentaries. The, the American ones approach the this theme of transgender identity and gender identity altogether in much more lighter, happier and perhaps, I don't know, do I dare say, in positive light. And Draft Day, on the other hand, shows you kind of more the, the hurdles and the obstacles that you might face from the society's end if you are a transgender person. So the closing statement for the American documentaries is kind of like, eh, not a big deal. If you face an obstacle, then you it's as easy, like the documentary Tom Girl states it out to be, to just state that, yeah, this is who I am, and all of a sudden, simply but with that, the problem goes away on its own, which I felt like what was simplificating the problem too much. Like society is not that free-minded, at least not yet. And that put me in a weird position, because I remember that in the episode Han that we made, mm. our something like 108th episode, the short film about the gay identity of a young boy, I, I stated out strongly that it's happy that we have... Also, you know, these, these positive stories about gender identity and sexual orientation, where simply because you are something other than what the society might outright from the get-go expect from you, like in Han, the main character was a gay boy, it doesn't automatically mean that the story has to end in huge tragedy and sacrifice. It's good that we are also shown stories where the the reaction of the society and your close one is healthy one and you get a happy ending. And I kind of found myself facing that statement when I was watching these documentaries where it kind of started to piss me off that the Americans, American documentaries so heavily leaned into this idea that if you just say to against someone that, hey, this is who I am, and this doesn't really change who I am deep inside of me, it means that the societal problems, I guess, go away and resolve themselves all on their own. And I was kind of like, yeah, that's a major load of bullshit. And it especially it pissed me off in Tom Girl, where they put the nine-year-old on a pedestal, and in my opinion, kind of threw him slash her, because the main character is someone who switches her... Uh, Gender identity depending on the day. Hmm. One day he's a boy, another day she's a girl. And he kind of lives in this non-gender defined existence. I kind of felt like putting the nine-year-old on pedestal and saying through him that, you know, your possible transgender or non-binary gender identity will just not be a big deal to anyone. Everyone will be fine if it, if you just say that, hey, that's my style. And I'm kind of like, no, that's mm. not how it goes. No. In this way, I was, I, I did like Draft Day more, because it's, it, that was the documentary that more highlighted that, 
you know, there's still quite a lot work to be done to advance the whole, whole societal acceptance of tra- transgender people, and there are societal barricades and and obstacles that you still have to get over if you are a transgender or if you don't confirm into the, the societal norm of binary gender identity. I was kind of like, much of my experience with these four documentaries was just me thinking like, how does this, how does my attitude here mirrors against the attitude that I had when we were doing doing the episode about Han. And in this sense, you know, when it comes to the, uh, the American documentaries, I would say the Trans-Mormon was perhaps the most aching to my tastes. Because even though it, that too kind of took a really, in my opinion, overtly simple and overtly happy nar- transgender narrative, at least that film still presented you with the obstacle when it closes down it points out that the main character of the of, of Transmormon is still someone who, at the end of the documentary, is going through the discussion with the Mormon church and her own Mormon community about the process of possibly re-entering the, that said community after becoming out as a transgender person. So at least that movie still acknowledges that, you know, there might be a big consequences for your transgender identity and there may be you know relatively huge problems for you and i felt that that was kind of kind of more honest than for example tom Kerr's attitude where it was just like yeah there actually is no problems whatsoever yeah and you know that felt weird it's also perhaps something to point out that these documentaries all they have come out between 2013 and 2015. So when it comes to the transgender discussion, there has been a lot of changes. And also these are documentaries that came out before societal movements like Me Too. Which I feel is a good thing to point out before anyone checks out Track King. Where the main character of the documentary, like, like, she is someone who puts on male track. And that is her way of expressing her own search for gender identity and, you know, navigating through the murky waters of gender. And that's all fine and dandy and I'm really happy for her. But at the same time, the male track role that she then then takes upon herself and that she expresses is like the most douchiest possible one that you can have now in a post-Me Too world. Hmm. Like he, like her, her male track is dressing up like a douche, like a goddamn incel or some type of a fortune keyboard warrior where, you know, walks around the city with an unlit pipe simply as a fashion statement. She points out that when she is on her male track, she gets this kind of phantom testosterone that makes it easier for her, you know, hit women. Phantom testosterone. And act like a player. And I'm like, 
like, like me in a post me tuber watching this documentary i'm like oh my god you're not supposed to do that and then then she mansplains avocados and like, looking like it like in this time and space in 2023 i'm looking at at, at her and I'm like yeah dead man walking dead man walking <laughs> that shit most definitely wouldn't fly in us post me too and because of that it's important to note that it's it's a documentary from 2015 america was a bit different place back in the day i really don't know like how people would approach and experience the documentary today for me it was a weird experience having followed some of the social discourse that has happened in the us and i don't i don't know perhaps you know she would be protected by the fact that she is a track person or she is she's putting on track but like i'm looking at the end result as like if that would be just a cis male straight cis male we would have a goddamn body in our hands pretty soon with that behavior so altogether, yeah, really weird experience. Checking out these four documentaries had to do some manner of self-examination as a result of, of checking these films. And from the lineup, uh, wholeheartedly recommend Draft Day. Well done, Thailand. It was a really good documentary about, short documentary about transgender identity mirrored against the societal expectation that you do military service. Not a bad job. The American ones, on the other hand, well, perhaps a recommendation for trans Mormon, even though that's kind of a lukewarm recommendation, it does somewhat manage to shine a light into its main question, which is what it means and what it costs to you to be a transgender person in Mormon community. But still, in my opinion, bit too wishy-washy in its execution and no recommendation from to Tom Gurr nor Drag King. Neither one of them are terrible documentaries. Technically they are all both fine documentaries but I do kind of feel that the focus is or the the end message of the documentary is is too happy-go-lucky, too wish-washy in my opinion to actually you know merit recommendation so yeah there that's closing my lineup of the films for tonight what was the mormon film called again trans mormon yeah you're getting into pretty tricky waters with this whole trans trans discussion so congratulations yeah i am i'm uh, insulting god knows how many people (laughs) and also mormon faith possibly also you know, Thailand and, well, entire America, but that's something that I've already done here on this podcast. That sounds like it's always a problem with these documentaries when they have to do this. Well, looks like in this case it didn't even try to do any kind of a balancing act, uh, kind of bringing the whole realism in, in, into the uh, equation, instead just trying to make it, as you said, like a wishy-washy or uh, the type of film that, you know, wants to depict what they would like to see in reality. But that's still not being the reality. That perhaps is is like a a good sum up of the, of my main problem. That a lot of these documentaries, not all of them, but a lot of them, 
try to depict the society that the filmmakers would want to see oh, yeah. or they would want to exist but that's not like we're talking about documentaries we are supposed to talk about films that depict reality mm. and in my opinion you know that approach is not the reality that we live in at least not yet hopefully in the near future but i don't see that around me today one thing thing that if i may dare to say that kind of kind of irks me in trans movies or documentaries is the the overstating of you know the kind of a cliche type caricature type of a trans person who who is very materialistic is very much this kind of a city girl city boy city what have you type of person with very superficial attitude about life and i would like to see something more in that and just not the kind of a sort of a shock factor oh my god he's he or she or whatever is wearing this and this type of in costume and now that you say say that that's kind of also a problem here on this lineup it's mo in it is it is worst in Tom Kerr, in my opinion. That that's like the most materialistic take. But it kind of lands itself in all the three American documentaries. Trans Mormon, perhaps being from the American end, the one where this is like the smallest problem. It's not, or it's like most Coca Cola light esque problem. Uh, draft today. On the other hand, in my opinion, actually avoids the, avoids this pitfall. It of course it, it it does have the the makeup showing you the makeup routine and stuff like that. So there is some there there is an aspect of materialism in 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 the way how it opens the conversation about Thailand's trans population, but it still doesn't focus on it it's just kind of a thing that it shows to you but the transgender identity in draft day it is studied through other lenses than just what the main characters are are dressing up and what, what clothes they are using and how much nail polish and fake eyelashes they are wearing and i guess like i said tom Kerr, perhaps the worst example here all right Let's travel to Brunei, a film from 2015 called Masa. Well, this is a short film from a, for nine minutes about the passage of time and how you can't control time, or, or perhaps you can, is what the how, film is... How, how fitting theme for our podcast. Exactly. And uh, apparently you can control time, at least in the way of editing, as we find out. Uh, but you can't change your fate. Well, this, this, <laughs> I guess this is also appropriate for the podcast. But this comes from a predominantly Muslim island country of Brunei, uh, southwest from the Philippines. If you don't know anything about this island country, well, it's a country that's been pillaged and ravaged and raped by the Spanish and the Japanese in the heydays of imperialism. And nowadays... The Sultan of Brunei is one of the richest people in the world, with a net worth of about $20 billion. And he owns hundreds of sports cars, including, and in not 
in not in any way limited to his 150 Ferraris. Anyways, so the movie, technically well made, shot with a DSLR, with kind of nice setups. I don't believe in concepts like fate, as you know, unless we're discussing this fate within the secular frameworks, such as determinism and the lack of free will. But so this film with these topics obviously doesn't really speak to me, but I, I, I appreciate the effort that is put in, nice shots, pretty good acting at points. These guys also have made plenty of more movies, but if you go by their YouTube channel, they haven't done anything in the last seven or so years, sadly. Directed by Asniel Yunus. I don't know, man. If you're in the fate, I guess check it. If you're in the time, check it. Otherwise, skip it. But going on to my main uh, gems of the of the evening, little by little, maybe not quite just yet, but... Henrik, our first ever film from India. <laughs> Pretty... Oh, actually, you were talking about Indian films there as well. Acknowledged. But director Prithi Gauda, or Prithi Gauda, name in Kannada language, however you pronounce that language even. Um, there's a reason why we haven't covered Indian films before, Henrik. I guess Uh-oh. you can... Oh, <laughs> How I... bad was it? <laughs> no, but um, talking of Indian films in general, uh, Henrik, I guess you can guess why why we haven't covered those before. It's one of those reasons for that is you. Because on one occasion I offered you a straight on like balls to the walls Bollywood musical film and you said nope. But I the- have I have no recollection about this ever happening and I refuse to make any comments. <laughs> but I, I do have I guess uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of any of the Bollywood mainstream movies that I've seen, so maybe it's better to delve into this more independent stuff. And this is different to Bollywood. And the film is called Televisnu. Uh, The synopsis reads, a surreal tale of a young Indian woman or woman who tries to fix her computer but ends up fixing her life. So yeah, it's definitely surrealist, this short film. And... And... uh, uh, this story is told through these surrealist shifts in not only location, but in scale, in realm and, and time. So it's really confusing to follow the film, but you get, you, get, you get the idea. It's kind of like a dream vibe. It's about the girl's fears and concerns, hopes and dreams within a dream. And I hope she really gets the man that she is in love with by the end. And didn't just fall uh, fall asleep at her call center center desk. This film requires some patience, definitely. But yeah, it's it's about uh, the forced marriage or arranged marriage versus I want to be with a person I really love. But I would recommend to check it out for the whole creativity of the lady going through like um, uh, the computer chips. In, he, she's literally going inside the computer of the call center, trying to find something that she lost, and then is in the ventilation shaft talking to herself. It gets pretty crazy. But yeah, let's continue the list with uh, Altered Focus, Burma. 
filmed in Burma, yeah, not exactly done by the Burmese, but it's a bunch of British folks there. This is a short documentary done in Burma, also known as Myanmar, Myanmar, created by these four British blokes, as they call themselves. They go to Burma and they bring their skateboards with them. So these four blokes are skateboarders and in, in Burma now, which is a country that has been closed off for so long, so most of them living there don't have any idea of what a skateboarding thing is, or maybe some of them have never even seen a skateboard. Or if they have, the exposure to such things is so non-existent there that there's literally huge crowds that gather to watch these four blokes skateboarding in the streets. And that's kind of fascinating to watch. They literally stop whatever they're doing in their daily daily routine, just gather around, watch skateboarding. And these kiddos also go to some primary school to teach English for kiddos in Burma. And just seeing these local skaters connecting with these British skaters, yeah, there's actually some, some local skaters as well, and they they connect in this skate park in, in Burma, which is really dilapidated and not really used much for skateboarding, it seems. But it's still there, some kind of a leftover. And these kids, they don't really share any language, but their sports they engage in, this unites them, of course. And the scene ends with this nice moment where the, the British blokes are giving some of their skate decks to these Burmese kids and for free. It's just fantastically nice of them and this film is from 2011 so it's just too bad that the situation in Burma has not changed yet in, in fact the military junta Chanta is in power once again and Aung San Suu Kyi is still in jail now serving a 33 year uh, 33 year prison sentence so way to go man but uh, definitely watch this documentary people in Burma are clearly nice folks, very, very warm and approachable. And this documentary has definitely kind of rekindled my interest in skateboarding. used to have one, but uh, <laughs> when I moved away from Poland, I had to get rid of it because I couldn't take all the shit with me. So I just literally, when we were recording some of the first episodes of this podcast, I, I literally, when I was about to move, I walked out of my building. I went to the first kid that I saw in the street and I said something like, uh, here, here's the skateboard. It costs something like this, and uh, enjoy. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but yeah, recommendation. Then we get to maybe even more exciting stuff. A Doctor's Job from Peru, 2011. And this is a fictional film for 10 minutes. This is about a doctor who saves the lives of people during the day at the ER and drives a cab in the evening because... He has to pay to keep her mother, a very frail mother indeed, living at the caretake home. And it costs money, you know. And unfortunately, he accidentally takes into his cab two, uh, three criminals. And the doctor then has to face this fascinating dilemma by the end of the movie related to money. And this was an excellent action thriller, I must say. I, I know... I know, you know, we're talking about guns and violence and then Curry seems to already get super excited here, but... No, I think it was actually really well made. I forgot my surroundings for the 10 minutes that this was running and... Very professionally done, 
I didn't find anything amateurish, amateurish about the film. And then the ending. It really sells this movie because it ties it all together. When you spend a moment to think about it. I don't want to spoil it really. I've already said enough. Fast-paced action. Absolutely edge of your seat shit. Go check it out. And last but not least on the list is Rise from Singapore. Directed by Dutch Daj Jenkins Musco. Six minutes runtime. We have a white guy here who struggles to cook the perfect bowl of rice under the auspices of this master rice cooker. A rice master from Japan, apparently. Though it's a Singaporean movie. He, This white guy, he tries to cook the rice again and again and again. And again and again and again, this rice master throws the rice into the bin because it's not meeting his quality specifications. And then he... At the at one point, the master just proceeds to shit on it because it's so bad apparently. But then the white guy he learns the valuable lesson that you have to have patience in this process. Everything when you're striving for perfection, you gotta have patience. You gotta control your emotions. You can't strive for greatness if your head is clouded by emotions. So tone it down a bit and make a fantastic bowl of rice you goddamn white hunky and uh, definitely a recommendation that's all from my list it was a weirdly compassionate film about cooking rice yeah yeah that that was that was definitely a asian subject matter there all right to wrap it all up what worked in uh, these films some of them in my end although not nearly all managed to actually tackle their subject matter in pretty good ways. From that end, I would definitely highlight three out of four train documentaries. Like I said previously, last train does not make the cut and, well, draft day. Hmm. Yeah, and what didn't work, hmm, what worked and what didn't work, we can kind of cover them all here right now. Uh, well, it's a lot of goddamn films. Some things did work better than the others for several reasons, but uh, of course, you know, the professionalism is something to be said and it brings certain qualities to other films that the other ones don't have. And it, especially in the Doctor movies case, um, it it kind of makes the difference of whether you will be pulled into the, into the magic of the film, you forgetting your surroundings or not. So there's always that, I don't know, if, there, if it makes any sense to point out anything else right now with this such of a variety of films. Uh, well, I will ask you this. Would you ever re-watch any of the films that you checked out? Uh, most of them not. Perhaps Draft Day, yeah. And also, well, Man Under Staff Ride and Staff Ridings. Uh, train Surfers, even though I do think it's a still pretty okay documentary about the subject matter... Uh, perhaps still for me, just one-time watch. So from 14 films, I would say, well, three. Well, four for, you know, Bringer of Christmas. That's a Finnish documentary that deserves more than one watching. But once again, it's not on film do, so you have to search it out from somewhere else. 
Alrighty, I'm definitely not gonna ask you to sort all your 13 or mine 20 films in order of preference because that makes no fucking sense. But I think at this point we can just, you know, list all the films that were kind of our highlights as you already seem to have done. And for, for me, if I check out this quickly, Curiosity Kills from Estonia, the zombie or radiated rat thing, absolute gem. Go check it out right now. Then I would pick, well, the the prisoner from Venezuela, the kind of bonding thing of the scout boys. Yeah, that was that was sweet. And 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 go check it out. Other than that, uh, Rice, as I mentioned, check it right now. A doctor's job, absolutely. And why not even altered focus Burma to see skateboarding in Burma of all things? Definitely something new to me. And perhaps Mongolian couch. Anything else to add this? Because it doesn't make much sense to cover a lot of quickies for this. Not really. I think that, you know, at uh, in the hell that is film podcasting, this was the hell that is independent short films. <laughs> and perhaps that's just enough hell for, for tonight. And dear listener, definitely come tell us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, as you have faithfully done all these years for us. Thank you, thank you. Not Come comment on our Facebook and Twitter pages about which one of these films you would recommend and why. And if you're listening on YouTube, please remember to subscribe and hit that bell. I think that's pretty suitable for today's needs. Thank you for joining us. See you in the next one. Until then. Since it's Canadian, I have to ask, does the zombie actually manage to, you know, kill anyone or is it just apologizing for its own existence? Every time I see the word Luxembourg, Luxembourg, anywhere written, I only go back to FIFA 97 video game. (laughs) Why? Why why FIFA 97? (laughs) Luxembourg! Luxembourg! Luxembourg!